0: You've got a vision, you've got a plan, you've got the tools to succeed, and no one else gets it. Everybody that you brought in to help you be successful said, that's not the right way, that's not for me, they leave, you're on your own. You can give up, you can do it the old-fashioned way, the way everyone else does it and still be successful, or you can persevere. What do you think my next guest, John DeJulius, did? I think you're right, let's find out next. This is a Dash of Grit, recipes for success from courageous leaders who overcome challenges and build great things. Now, podcasting from Spire to leaders in local communities like yours. Here is Brian Leflock. And let's get cooking. Folks, you're in for a treat today. I'm really excited about today. Our guest today is successful. All of our guests here are successful, but the cool thing about this one is that he became successful by bringing success to others. He helps other businesses be successful through customer service. He's an authority on customer service, working with Chick-fil-A, Lexus, Nordstrom, Harley-Davidson, Starbucks, just to name a few. And he is an international consultant, a speaker, a best-selling author. He's written five, Uh, books, customer service books, and uh, the chief revolution officer for the DeJulius Group. I'd like you to meet John DeJulius. Thank you for being our guest on A Dash of Grid.
1: Thank you, Brian. I'm really excited to be on.
0: I'm excited to hear your story and to share your story. And I think a lot of folks are gonna get some good things out of it. And so, John, you're the Chief Revolution Officer, the DeJulius Group, working with big companies. That sounds successful to me. And if you don't mind, share with us a little bit about the good things. Talk to me about success. Talk to me about the DeJulius Group. What's great in your world right now?
1: You know, we're lucky. Uh, you know, I. You know, in, in all industries, customer service has really become prevalent. The DeJulius Group is a... Our goal is to change the world by creating a customer service revolution. And we do that by helping brands, you know, become those organizations that people can't live without and ultimately make price irrelevant. And that's, you know, what our focus is. And we only do one thing and it's customer service. And it, 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 it seems to be working really, really well for us. And, and we probably turn down 30 to 40% of leads because if it doesn't fall into our wheelhouse, we don't want to touch it like we're yeah. we're, we're very narrow and deep and, and that works for us.
0: How did you become successful to work with these types of big companies? How did they match? How do their needs match yours? And how did you know that they would match? You know,
1: being an entrepreneur, I started uh, my first business almost 30 years ago, and it was just a little hair salon in Cleveland, Ohio, in the suburbs. And we had the three no's. We had no customers, no employees, and no money. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a salon um, in every direction that you could throw a, a rock and you'd hit one and, and, and up and down the street. So we couldn't outspend them. We couldn't outbuild, uh, you know, a better place. So, you know, we wanted to be known as the best customer experience you might have and not in the salon industry because obviously if you came in today and got your haircut, you don't go across the street to our nearest competitor and compare. You don't need mm. a salon for a few weeks or a few months. So we wanted to, you know, have a, a hangover effect where every experience after that, the dentist office, shopping, you know, wherever you're going, paled in comparison. And so it started to work. And uh, in the early 90s we were growing and People started asking me to speak and, and by accident, you know, I, I didn't realize that that was a career. And, you know, every time I did, two or three leads came from it to eventually by the early 2000s, that's all I was doing and, and uh, got out of the day to day of the salon business.
0: And so these other companies saw what you were doing, heard your speaking and it, it just all made sense. And yeah, and the so-
1: books or, or seeing me speak led to, you know, opportunities with them.
0: Yeah, and so that's the Cinderella story, John. That's that's you. Yeah. You started one thing, it went great, and people noticed, and now it, you're this huge success. Now, I'm thrilled for you, but I also know that you're probably you might even be too humble to share some of the things. I, I'm interested in the challenges that cropped up along the way. This show is a lot about folks understanding that you're not always a success. It's not always easy. It's maybe it's never easy. Tell me if you can. If you can think back to when things didn't seem like it was going to work out, when things looked a little dark on your way to success, can you remember some periods like that in your life?
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. You know, if 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 this is a couple hour podcast, <laughs> uh, I could certainly fill it. I'm um, starting with you know last week, right? I mean, the world we're living in. Um, but uh, you know, early on, you know, our our literally uh, when we opened the salon business. Um, my wife and I was driving a truck at UPS at the time. And, you know, we we hired three of our friends from beauty school five years earlier, and they were all these busy hairdressers. And, you know, so we had four hairdressers that were booked. And I'm like, Oh, my God, we're going to make a million dollars in our first week. You know, so we had me and my wife used to go out this is back in the late 80s, early 90s and we'd be at bars and restaurants, and we'd say, hey, if we ever open that dream salon, um, we got to treat customers really well. And we'd write them down on napkins. And we literally have our our, our, our business plans, they were cocktail napkins, uh, um, in a frame at our office from you know the early 90s. Wow. Well, anyway, fast forward, we opened in, in February of 92. And uh, by March, the other three employees quit because they wanted nothing to do with our our vision on our cocktail napkins.
0: They just wanted to work. They didn't want everything that you wanted.
1: They wanted it come in when, you know, they wanted to come in, if they were hung over, if they felt like working, you know, all the things I had heard and, and, you know, and they just weren't part of our our vision. So I thought we were going to go out of business. And so that's when we collected ourselves at that time and said, you know, let's really stick to this. And, and, And we did something that no one had done back then in the beauty industry. We said, we aren't going to hire hairdressers from other salons that have experience. And back then that was the only way you did it was, you know, you couldn't get a job unless you had, you know, experience in a clientele. Um, And and we said, no, we were going to hire people right out of beauty school, put them through a a 12 to 18 month training before they ever take a client. And while that took a little longer, that exploded. And, you know, we would take young Brian and say, Brian, listen, when a, a customer walks in, you stand on your head and you're like, okay. Um, Because you didn't know any, you didn't have five years of experience. You said, listen, I know how to build a clientele. And, you know, so our culture was really, uh, you know, specific and the experience was number one. And then that just opened the doors and we started exploding and opening up multiple locations. But um, that was just the first of many, many landmines that we stepped on.
0: Well, and, and let's, I'm hoping we can talk about some of those too, but I, I'm interested. So you've just opened this up and you had the, the napkins. And that all made a ton of sense. And then you open up and now everyone's gone and you're like, holy cow, maybe the napkins are wrong. Right. Like, and maybe we should just, let's just run this hair salon. Otherwise we're going to be bankrupt. How did you know your vision was worth fighting for to, in order to completely buck the system and start hiring people that anyone else has never done it before? How'd you know that you needed to do it different? What, what drove you there?
1: All right. So, so we're up, you know, and we're crying and, you know, we feel like, yeah. boy, we're in over our heads and, you know, we... We don't know what it's like to own our a business. Our vision We're is wrong. Yeah, yeah right, yeah. right. And so we didn't know that our vision was right. But where the where where we really came to that moment, the epiphany came to, is we'd rather go at our vision and fail at it than compromise and do. So my wife had been working in the salon industry for you know a long time before that. And the salon industry was not thought of as professional. Employees weren't taken care of. The em- employees weren't trained. There was lousy customer experience. So it was the option of continuing to do that or let's hold dear to our napkins and go out of business. But I'd rather go out of business than compromise and, and have a taste of what we just experienced. And, and we were okay with that. And I know that sounds easy, you know. but back then we didn't have a lot to lose. Like if the banks wanted our house, you know, they could have it because it wasn't that nice of a house at the time anyway.
0: Yeah. And so and so you've got the vision, you held on to it. You're like, you're going to Frank Sinatra this thing and do it your way, win or lose. Right. When you brought the folks in with the new idea and everyone else looked at you and said, you're crazy. What are you thinking? Which I imagine would happen. Did Was that a quick fix or did even that step hold some minds that you're like, holy cow, this isn't working either? Or did it just automatically start to click for you?
1: You know, it just started clicking, you know, not the sales, you know, didn't happen overnight. It would have been easier to cheat and hire people with a clientele, which would have brought in sales right away. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we resisted that. But what happens, we would get these young, energetic people that, that our napkins resonated with them. And it was like those early years of Steve Jobs and working 24 hours a day and and eating pizza on the the floor and trying to figure out how we could do it better and different than anyone else. And, you know, just having that that core people that still work with us today. Yeah. Um, 30 years later and, and they'd be the grandparents and say, you don't know how lucky you had it. Cause when we worked here and we started, we had to, you know, and now, you know, people have nicer benefits. They have benefits. You know, our employees didn't have benefits back then. I mean, you know, yeah. the benefit was just that, you know, you could, you could come and uh, come in the door and work.
0: Yeah. And I'm going to guess, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I could be completely wrong, but I'm betting you had the napkins, you had the vision. Now you needed the employees. You didn't advertise for them. Did you? They just found you. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so employees would would, would you know they, they, a lot of times would be customers, right? Because yep. they would love what was happening, and there was a pulse, there was an energy, awesome. and 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 that's one of my favorite words is energy, right? Like like I think our energy introduces us before we ever say a word, right? When you walk into a room, when when you you know you meet someone, the eye contact, whatever that may mean, and so a lot of times it was employee family members, employee best friends, and and customers who just said. I love coming in. Like if I could get my haircut once a week, I would because you give me a bounce in my step that I don't get anywhere else. And like that all of a sudden that helped clarify our vision. That's what we need to do. We give bouncing people steps. Yeah, we don't sell
0: haircuts. We do the, we we improve your life. We make you happy. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: then that expanded. So people started Jones. Hey, how, how can we get that in our business? How can we, you know, help people with their self-esteem that happen to sell, you know, widgets or, you know, whatever it was. And that's how the, the DeJulius group got its start.
0: So let's fast forward and do some searching and hunting for landmines. What, what's next? You built, you built this step. You've got people buying in, you've got people asking the next hurdle that you can remember. Well, you know, the biggest you got one. the
1: traditional landmines. If you've been in business long enough, every entrepreneur has, you got 911 right? You got the great recession, you got COVID pandemic, but to me, you know, I'm, I'm better suited for those. Like I'm, I'm strange. I was a baseball player and I wasn't a very good baseball player. I played in college, but I was, I was below average. Okay. Mm -hmm. But you know, people wanted me up in the ninth inning. I was a clutch player, but you, you probably didn't want me up in the first or fourth. or six. But when the game was online, and I'm kind of like that in a business, in a strange way, I like when I'm fighting for survival. Like everything slows down and becomes crystal clear while everyone else is panicking. So the natural crisis doesn't necessarily hurt our business like it does others. And, and we don't do better in recessions, okay, but I prefer a recession because our co- competitors are so much worse. Yeah. They start making knee-jerk reactions. I always say that a recession is like a business enema, and it does a cleaning of shitty businesses that shouldn't have been in it. They were just taking advantage of a great economy, where I, you know. So those weren't necessarily the hurdles as much as rapid growth, and rapid growth becomes intoxicating. And rapid growth compromises your customer experience and employee experience. So what I mean by that is early on, uh, when we have, you know, 10 or 15 employees and we need a new receptionist or we need a new consultant or whatever, we'd interview 20 people to find the perfect person. And we probably would, right? Mm -hmm. Well, now fast forward when we need 25, 50 new employees because of growth. Well, we're interviewing 52. And, and the reason why we interviewed the two extra was because two didn't want the job, yep. right? So now we hired Brian, um, not because he was the best, he was best of the candidates that applied, right? Yep. Not to mention that we're ignoring the C-minus player that we've been having, allowing sticking around for the past three years, but we're growing. I can't yeah. have less employees, I need more.
0: I need people but with blood in their veins, yeah.
1: Right, right, and what ends up happening is, Anytime you compromise your culture for sales, you lose, you know, you lose the sales long term because- now, you know, people are quitting because they don't like who they're working with anymore. It's not the place they started or, the, or, or when you started with them or, you know, the midnight pizza, you know, you know brainstorming, you know, and, and it's that coyote ugly. You wake up, and you're like, who are these people? Like, I don't even like coming to work anymore. Yeah. And, and that's a hard thing because we all want to grow, you know, growing, you know, is, is that false indicator that we're successful but then you wake up with a bunch of people that you didn't want to go to battle with.
0: And so do you find yourself in crisis mode and slow down mode when things go, things are going great and you find yourself waking up with coyote, Ugly and holy cow, does that then become a crisis? And then how do you deal with, with that? You've got rapid growth and you're slowing down. How do you, how do you put that and together? it's hard.
1: It's hard because, you know, you got opportunities yeah. and, you know, your reputation or whatever a book comes out. More people want to hire you. And but if I send this person out, that that's not going to be the greatest representation. So what we've learned is I'd rather say, no, we're at capacity right now. That almost makes you the potential client want us more mm-hmm. than say, yeah, we got someone for you um, and, and we hold our breath. And, you know, see, see if that works. Yep. And it's hard. It's hard, you know, to turn away quarter of a million dollar contract or whatever it may be. Um, it's all relative, but you'll you, that'll be a one-time quarter of a million dollar contract. They won't renew and they're going to be doing brand terrorism to you and about you. So, you know, when you realize the long-term losses of the short-term gains, you hopefully become disciplined and start making the right decisions, and that's hard. And and every landmine I've stepped on is—I go back to that where I compromised, I I made excuse. Now Brian's really a good—I know he has a bad attitude, but he's going through problems. Yeah. You know, that's just me kidding myself because I didn't want you know let Brian go because he was you know bringing in us in money. Or whatever yeah. that may look like. So, yes. you know, that's it. And the other area of the landmines that I've stepped on personally, it, it, professionally, but personally, is I'm really good at being the underdog. Um, but when I think I've made it, I think I'm entitled, I think I've earned it, um, I, I, I start having shit happen. If I get one too many standing ovations or I read one too many, you know, reviews that say, you know, the book's great, John's great, I could get full of myself. And what
0: happens then? When you're full of yourself, what what goes wrong?
1: I, I start getting culture issues. I start, you know, getting too big for my britches. You know, someone will say, you know, our, our client, well, I'm not doing that. Are you kidding me? Like, I don't say it, but I, I ins- you know, I, 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 I will, you know, do they know who I am, right? That type of, you know, ignorant stuff that, you know, w- w- you know I don't know if anybody else can be guilty of. So I got to remember, you know, I like when I'm fighting from behind. I like when I'm the underdog and I think, you know, we're not supposed to do this. My team likes that. Um, and, 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 you know, and, and the other thing is, you know, there's no such thing as a self-made man, right? Um, I, you know, I don't care where you came from. Uh, you know, I, it, it takes so many people to make me look good. And I mean, I have so many people behind the scenes coordinating this podcast with you and getting me, you know, the information of what, you know, and, and when I look good. I have to be reminded. I have to remind myself there was a lot of people behind the scenes making me look more successful or smarter than I would have on my own. So it's just making sure that I I remember that, that, you know.
0: How do you get back on track when you've forgotten? And I can see, I mean, you're working with Starbucks and you've got the, you're working with these big companies and you're on stage and you're selling books and everyone's telling you how great you are and the company's growing and you fall into those traps. I get that. So, so what do you do, John, to pull yourself out of that a little bit? You recognize it. And then, then what do you do to pull yourself back?
1: So I have a compass. I have a, a, a personal vision statement. And, you know, I have it with me. It's in my, uh, you know, on my mirror, my bathroom mirror, it's in my wallet. You know, I carry it with me. And the, the, the personal purpose is to live an extraordinary life. So countless others will as well. Okay. And so, You know, I don't want to live an extraordinary life just so I have more cars, more vacations, more, you know, trips, whatever. So the second half is more important than the first half, right? To live an extraordinary life so countless others will. And and, and what I think by that is we all have seeds of potential. And, you know, the seeds we don't fully realize, we cheat those around us, right? Mm -hmm. I cheat my 150 employees, my three boys, my clients, you know, my community. So I feel it's, it's not a right, it's an obligation yeah. that, you know, and so if we think about what if, if, if Steve Jobs or Walt Disney or Martin Luther King or whoever they are, if they would have said, you know, back in the day when they were young, ah, screw it, I'm just going to be enough. ordinary. yeah, Right how different would our lives have been, right? You Mm. know, we're the Walt Disney of our world, whatever the, you know, the micro world. And so um, I have a chart here that, that, you know, so it's not just a, a platitude that, you know, what I have to visit on a regular basis, personally and professionally, and it's like an audit. And when I'm not, when I realize I'm not living an extraordinary life, which is more than I like to admit, I can go to this list and see where I'm deficient right? I'm not hanging out with the people that inspire me. I'm not feeding my mind with healthy podcasts and, and inspirational things, you know, whatever that may. I'm not getting a good workout and I'm not eating well. I can immediately see and, and hopefully that gets me back on track.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so you don't have just a plan for your business or for <laughs> other people's business. You've got a plan for yourself and you're living it. And you've probably got people there too, who are saying, Hey, John, Hey, check a look at your list. You're, you're getting a little bit yeah. uh, saucy yeah. there. So,
1: exactly.
0: 1000%. Okay. Wonderful. Good for you. So I'm, I'm, I know that it sounds like you're not ever going to be successful. There's always something else that you're going to be able to accomplish and need to accomplish and someone's life you're going to impact. What is next for John? And what's next for the Julius group? And, and what, what hurdles do you see in the future that you need to overcome to get to that next level of success? What grit are you going to have to show soon?
1: You know, I just just think, you know, we're not repeating it, making sure that, you know, I and, you know, my three boys behind me are proud of me. and I'm a good role model, not by what I say, but but what they see me do. Um, That's, I think, is what my, you know, biggest, you know, all of our biggest role is, is producing, you know, kids who become good, good people that, you know, make a positive impact on society. Um, the Jewish group is going well. Uh, we are, uh, you know, growing, we're, we're, you know, right now we're having our events virtual and we're in that space and it's working out really well. We are starting a, a CX coaching. So it's like EOS, it's like Sandler, mm-hmm. um, where we're licensing our methodology to coaches so right. they can go out. Because I told you, our, our, our purpose is to uh, change the world by creating a customer service revolution. And the DeJulius Group, it, you know, can only do so much of that. Can only touch so, so many people. Right. So we're hoping to have these coaches all over the world that can help, you know, do that with with companies.
0: Fantastic. Good for you. Yeah, that'll just exp- expand your reach and allow you to impact the world even greater. That's our Good. goal. Good for you. And so, if if those folks, perhaps uh, coaches, people who want to know more about customer service, people who want to know about you, the DeJulius Group, they wanted to reach out to you. And I can't imagine right now that someone doesn't. Um, how would they go about doing that, John?
1: the dot com. TheDeJuliusGroup And if they need to, you know, email me, ask me a question. John at the
0: Fantastic. And I hope people will. I tell you what, there's so many folks, you know, what I've learned the most out of this is that you've got a vision, you've got a dream, you've got a personal expectation for yourself. And that is to impact others. And you're just not going to let anything stop you, even the failure and the pitfalls along the way. And I hope that that's motivating for folks listening. And I really do appreciate your sharing the story.
1: Thank you, Brian. I appreciate you having me on.
0: Thank you for being on the show. I am uh, thrilled to bring you Dash of Grit. It's brought to you by Spire. You know, a lot of businesses, and we just talked about it, they struggle to get to that next step, through that next hurdle, over the next ceiling. And uh, Inspire wants to help you do that. So we like to help uh, small businesses, medium-sized businesses, grow through the problems that come through. And so we do that by showing some extra grit for your company. If you're interested in the things that Spire Advertising can do, please let us know and visit our website, spiread.com. If you do click the Contact Sales button, I will answer and I'll be thrilled to. I'm Brian Leffelock. I'm the director of sales at Spire. Thank you again to John DeJulius, chief revolution officer. I love that title at the DeJulius group. Thank you for being on Dash of Grit. This has been a Dash of Grit. It's an acquired taste. We will keep cooking and do this again. Thanks for listening. This is a Dash of Grit. Recipes for success from courageous leaders who overcome challenges and build great things.